1: Welcome to the Worth Your Time Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's guest is Melanie Lynham. She is a pastor, and she's joining me all the way from Australia. Pretty cool. It's a place I would love to go someday, but haven't been there yet. I loved talking to Melanie about her journey to becoming a pastor, being a mom of four. She's a, well, when we recorded this interview, she was about to have her fourth baby, um, and how she got into podcasting as well as the traumatic birth story of her first daughter. It is a miraculous story, guys. You do not want to miss this. I mean, I was just listening with, bated breath as she told me what happened and just the miracle that God did for her little girl, Isabella. Um, so I'm so glad that I connected with Melanie over Instagram. Um, we met through, I think a podcasting hashtag, which is amazing. Um, so thanks to Melanie and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Also, a quick note, this will be my last episode of the year until we kick things off in January of 2020. Um, the podcast will possibly be moving to a biweekly schedule as I attempt to fit in writing my second book and um, being a stay-at-home mom and doing freelance writing and also taking on my digital clients. You guys, life is crazy. Um, but I didn't want to give up the podcast. I love it so much. So I'm going to move to biweekly for now, and I've already recorded the first three interviews of the year year, and you are not going to want to miss them, guys. They are so good. If you have guest suggestions, please send them my way. Email me or tweet me, social media, whatever. Um, I'm looking forward to some really great conversations this year, and I just thank you so much for being a part of this community. I can't wait for a great 2020. All right, today on the podcast, we have Melanie Lynam. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Australia. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. So uh, for everyone that's listening, we were trying to figure out a time to to chat today. And it was just so funny because Australia is, I mean, we are currently 15 hours time difference right now. So it's evening, it's Sunday evening here. It's a Monday morning there. Uh, and we were just talking about what a strange thought that is that we're on two different days, but we're having a conversation. Um, so I- thanks, for, thanks for ironing that out with me, Melanie.
2: That's all right. We thought that we had the times down pat, and then you're like, oh, wait, daylight saving." I know. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's another
1: hour. So uh, so kind of funny. Uh, but, but, yeah, why don't you – can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, who your family is, and what's important to you in life?
2: Okay. So I am uh, – I'm a pastor, and I'm also a podcaster. I've got my own podcast called The Full Life Podcast, which I only started – uh, two and a half months ago, so I'm a newbie, and I'm married to a handsome man named Daniel who's a physiotherapist, and I've got three daughters aged six, three, and 20 months, and I'm 35 weeks pregnant with baby number four. And, and you don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy, right? Not, that's right, and I love, I love that I get to find out in five weeks' time. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. Did you find out with the others? No, they were all surprises. Oh
1: my gosh, that's so funny. Oh man, so you guys are like thinking it's probably going to be a boy, but you just don't know.
2: Yeah, well the problem is, so with the other three, we were really certain on our girl names, but really uncertain on our boy names. With this one, we're really certain on our boy name, and we are really in a lot of trouble if it's a girl <laughs> because we don't have anything. Well, I guess you don't have to
1: name them right off the bat, right? You, you have a few hours to think about it.
2: Well, technically, I think here in Australia, you've got 30 days. So oh. you really don't have like a no-name child.
1: <laughs> no, I'm, somebody I know yeah. that happened to them recently and they had uh, – it took them like two days and I just thought, I don't feel like I could do that. I feel like I would need the name.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm like – I've always been like, you've had nine months. Yes. But but I still, like, I've actually, this is really funny. I was in a public toilet in a shopping center recently, and I came across this name scratched, like graffiti style, on the top of the hand dryer. And I was like, oh, that's a nice name.
0: (laughs) Just put it in your memory.
2: We'll name this child, this name, after a graffiti artist, like a teenage rebel. (laughs) That
1: would be such a great story for them to tell later, though.
2: (laughs) You're really special.
1: (laughs) So you told me that you are are a pastor, but your husband is not. And I was surprised by that because normally I feel like I never see that. I never see... The, the, a wife being a pastor where the husband does another profession. So tell me that yeah. story of how that happened. And I feel like I'm probably a, like just naive for having not met <laughs> anyone in that situation before, but, but I haven't. So I would love to hear uh, the story of how that happened.
2: Okay, so, I mean, I guess it is a little bit unique, but I feel like it is getting, over here in Australia, in my generation, I feel like it is getting a little bit more common. So we are a part of the denomination of churches called Australian Christian Churches. And our, one of our focuses is on raising up younger Uh, people to be in ministry so we have like something called emerging leaders where we just sow into people in their 20s and 30s and really build them up um to be pastors and to be like if that's god's calling on their life and so for me when i was 15 years old i was so dramatic i had to choose all my subjects for year 11 and 12 and so i felt like i had to know exactly what i was doing with my life and um I just really got really desperate for God to use me. Like I honestly, I'm not even exaggerating, I would be crying, like tears pouring down my face. God, use me. I feel like my life would be worthless if you don't use me. And um, during that time, our church had like a midweek prayer meeting and I went along to it. And we actually had a prophet there, and he ha- had a word for me, and that was like my first time ever having that kind of experience. And he comes over to me, and and he says, you are called into full-time ministry. You're called to go to Bible college. You're called to be a leader of leaders of youth. You're called to go on mission trips and lead other people on mission trips. And, and so, like, he spoke all these things over me, and, and really they were all just like confirmation of the desires of my heart, Uh, to be used by God and in that way. And so I was like, right, after school, I'm going to Bible college. So I went to Bible college for two years, got my diploma of Christian ministry, and I was really like, now what? But during all this time, I was really planted in my church. When I was 14 years old, a friend of mine at school came to me and said, oh, man, at youth group, I get to preach for five minutes uh, this Friday night. And I remember thinking, oh, if I go to her youth group, maybe one day I'll get to preach. So I said to her, do you mind if I come along to your youth group? And she's <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, like when I went, I just felt like I was at home. And I went home and I asked my mom, can I start going to that church? Because, uh, like, I grew up in a Christian family, I I gave my life to Jesus when I was four years old Uh, we've had a really rocky childhood like um, my parents both had failed marriages and that was really really tough on my sister and I and um, but through that all I've always felt like Jesus has been with me and has been my friend and I feel like that has been such a privileged position to, to have known Jesus since such a young age and so just going back a couple of years, when I was 12 years old, I remember coming to like this fork in the road of, have I been brainwashed? Like, do I believe all this stuff about God? Because my parents believe it, my family believe it. This is what I've been taught. I've gone to a Christian school. I've gone to church. But I really felt like, no, God is too real to me for me to walk away from him. So when I was 12, I was like, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to say a Christian and, and this is my commitment so fast forwarding to when I was 14 going to youth ministry like I mean youth group that really just propelled my relationship with God like I really grew in maturity and in faith and learning about uh, spiritual disciplines like reading your bible and journaling and, and all that kind of stuff and about prayer and I guess in that environment that's really where my desire to be a ministry grew. And so, after I finished Bible college, I was still in that same church, and I was serving in the youth ministry as one of the leaders. And our music director—I was also serving in the worship ministry as one of our worship leaders. And at that time, our music director stood down, and so we had no one leading the worship team. Um, and I remember feeling like God said to me, "If I ask you to lead the worship team, will you?" And I remember saying, yes, of course I will, but you're not going to ask me (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not the best person. Like I don't play an instrument. Like I've got no experience. But um, sure enough, my pastor asked me into his office one day and he's like, "Um, would you like to be our worship pastor? And I was totally surprised by this and felt completely in over my head. But I did it for the next five years (laughs) And um, really grew in it and loved it as well. And so that's how I became a pastor. And my husband, who actually, he started off as a high school teacher, a math and science teacher. And I'll tell you something, Erica, that sounds real dodgy. How I met my husband was he was actually my math teacher in grade 11. Oh,
1: my God. So was he pretty... Young teacher, I assume. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was his first year of teaching. <gasps> That's and so funny. I'll tell you this story. Um, I was terrible with maths. Like, I just didn't listen. Like, I just uh, would not concentrate at all. And I remember this one day, I was daydreaming, and I remember hearing him say, okay, so now open up your textbooks and turn to this page and do those exercises. And he had just been explaining how to do them, but I wasn't listening. So I put up my hand and I was like, excuse me, sir, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) So he comes over and um, he he tries to explain it to me and I'm not listening. (laughs) And, And he says, Do you understand now? And I just looked at him like, oh my goodness, I need to start listening. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember remember him going, okay. And so he tried explaining it a different way. And now I'm thinking, he is so patient. I would go on a date with this guy one day when I. (laughs) And you're still not listening to the explanation, though, right? (laughs) No, right. (laughs) Um, And so, like, fast forward maybe eight to 10 years later. I told him that story when we were sitting across the table from each other at our very first date. Yeah. So So wait, how did you,
1: how did you end up, how did it end up being so long between the times?
2: Well, he, um, like I graduated from school, didn't see him again. And then I think it might've been like maybe four or five years later, something like that. He one day started coming to my church and I was like, Mr. (laughs) Lynham Like you taught me math, remember? And at first he didn't remember. I was like, "Yeah, I never listened." You had to explain things a lot.
1: And he was like, "Oh, now I remember you."
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: That's, you. That's so fun. I love that. I mean, I thought you were gonna say though that like you guys like got married like a year after high school.
2: Oh, that would be super dodgy, wouldn't it? That
1: would be super
2: yes. Dodgy. <laughs> um, yeah. When we you know, when you do that Facebook status change or you're in a relationship with so it, I had all these high school friends going scandal.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's hilarious. (laughs) But it was
2: so long after I graduated. And, um, yeah. So at, at church, we were just mates. He had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend and I would call him line because there were a couple of dance in our church. And, um, he helped me move like three times just as a mate. (laughs) And um, the last time he helped me move, we were both single, and my mom was like, "What about him, now? <laughs> and he, he was like the only bachelor in our church. And I remember even um, even my pastor's wife and my pastor were trying so so hard to put us together. And I was like, "It's never going to happen." He was my maths teacher. It's never. <laughs> <happened to me." laughs> and we ended up. We both ended up working together at the church. He stopped being a teacher and started being. The business manager at our church, and so we went on a missions trip together to the Philippine Islands, and we went on, we went to a Hillsong conference together uh, with other people, of course, not just the two of us. But during those two trips, you know, yeah.
1: something,
2: something began, a bit of a spark, and and yeah, so that. So
1: now, how long have you guys been
2: married? Eight years. Okay. Eight years and almost four children later. Yeah. He's the best husband. He's like, he's my best friend. He's still very patient. <laughs> he's a lot of fun.
1: Well, if you can be patient with high school students that are being bratty, surely <laughs> that says yeah. something about who you are in real life.
2: Yeah. So like he, I went into that relationship thinking he wanted to be a physio. Um, that that was the desire on his heart. And, then he turned to me and said, I, wanted, I want to go to Bible college. And I said, well, whatever you choose to do, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to pressure you in any way. So he did that. And um, but, and then he tried when he was working for the church as business manager and as, like, in the role of a pastor. He just wasn't flourishing. Like, it just wasn't flicking his switch. He just had this frustration and it wasn't healthy for him at all. And I think he was burning out. And that's when he was like, I really want to go back to university and and be a physio. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna support you one hundred percent with this. Like you've been supporting me one hundred percent with ministry and I'm I'm happy to move to a different city so that you can do this this study and um and it's my turn to support you with this. And so Dan's always known that you know, there's a call of God on my life for ministry. He's he's been really supportive in that, and recognizing that, and um, and I guess my support of him is that he is just called to be like this fantastic physio and make a difference in people's lives in that way. And and he passionately serves in our church. Like I said, like we both run the kids ministry, um, and so yeah. And who knows? Like he has expressed an interest in one day, maybe just volunteering one day a week in the church, but I just don't feel like at this stage of his life, he, he would really flourish as working as a full-time pastor.
1: Yeah. You know, well, it's, um, you know, it's like, there's so much, I mean, if you're a Christian, then your ministry is wherever you are, of course. And so it's like there, I feel like there's been a, a real, at least here in the United States, like there's been a real, um, I guess interest or just more focus on, faith and work, whatever your work may be, um, and how those things can work together. And it doesn't really, it's like, you don't have to work in the ministry, of course, for you to have a ministry. And um, I'm trying to think. A friend of mine. Oh yeah, a friend of mine wrote a book. Uh, it was called "Called to Create," um, and that was really about creatives, um, but it could it was really applicable to anyone in any field and um, how we can be called to all of those things, but still have you know our primary purpose be um, focusing on God in that and honoring Him through that. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we have to listen to, to what that calling really is in our lives. Um, and then for you, you sounds like you still feel like you're really called to be in ministry and be mm-hmm. preaching and <clears throat> doing that with your life. Um, and this is, I, I have a couple questions related to Australia because I don't know anything about it. So <laughs> you're going to have to tell me a couple things. So here in the U.S., and this is something that I never really was aware of until, a few years ago, which sounds really silly, but um, there's, uh, you know, some churches don't believe that women can be pastors. And I didn't know that until a couple years ago. I guess I had always Mm -hmm. gone to churches where female leaders were very common. And like, I didn't ever even know there was an argument about it. But is that true in Australia as well? Do you have churches that believe that as well?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in this generation, it's, it's better, like we've improved a lot, um, but there are still definitely a lot more male preachers and pastors. And not that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just really love. There's so many young women with a calling on their lives and um, and a desire to be used in ministry, and and I feel like maybe as a church we could do better at at recognising those women and empowering them and, and training and equipping them and giving them opportunities. But I do really acknowledge that we're doing a lot better at that in this generation and we are improving. Funny fact about Dan, he grew up in an Anglican church and at one point in that Anglican church, they were very much against women in ministry. And for him in his early adulthood, that was something that he didn't feel comfortable with, women being in ministry. And so God's done a real work in him as well uh, for the fact that he married a woman in ministry. Um, I have actually had people walk out while I've been preaching. Wow. Uh, but I didn't realize. Thankfully, I had no idea. And I found out from my pastor later on that week that they actually emailed and said, we came to your church. There was a woman a woman preaching. We will never be back. <laughs> But, like, I get w- amazing women like Joyce Meyer and Lisa Bevere and Bobby Houston and Kristen Kane and just so many. And I just think God is using them in such a powerful way. And I, I absolutely believe that God um, calls and sets apart and uses women in ministry too.
1: Did you hear
2: uh, the? there's a big
1: kerfuffle last week or the week before last about a famous preacher that was um hating on beth moore
2: no you know who beth I... moore is yes i do yeah okay
1: yeah uh his name his name was john MacArthur, and i actually i didn't know who he was but i guess he's really famous and i'm probably making myself sound a little ignorant by saying i didn't know who he was but i
2: don't know who he is either
1: yeah i guess he's like a very um you know, kind of big in the evangelical world, but um, somebody asked him what he thought about Beth Moore. And he said, the first thing that came to mind was that she should go home, like be quiet and sit down. (laughs) And and there was a lot more said, and it was just like this little video and it went kind of went viral and everyone was just freaking out about it but it sparked a bigger conversation about women in ministry and female pastors like sort of in my twitter sphere last week and um it was just kind of interesting and i know that there are people that i've seen um that i respect that have Mm. that view but i i guess i i feel like it's it's more of a minority view and i don't know do you do you understand where people are coming from when they say they don't believe in it
2: I understand the confusion. I believe that there are scriptures that have been taken out of context in the Bible. Like I do I mean, there's a scripture that says that women shall be saved through childbearing. <laughs> but then if you're going to like base all your faith and theology on that, then you forget about about having faith in Jesus Christ and, and his grace mm-hmm. and salvation. Like you can't just take one part of the Bible and disregard the rest like it all has to be in context Mm um I definitely get where they're coming from but I but because I've experienced the stirring of the Holy Spirit in me and I've experienced him because um I can't argue with my own testimony you know what I mean like it's my own experience of God speaking to me and speaking through me like I just preached um at a church in Mullaney on Sunday morning. And I really, it was amazing just to see God do a work in people. Like I got to pray for people afterwards and and from feedback that I received, the the word that I brought really made an impact. And so you can't argue with that. You can't say, well, God's not calling this person
0: into ministry.
2: Lisa Bevere has written a really good book called Without Rival. Have you read that book yet? No, I haven't. It, it actually approaches the topic of women in ministry. It's, um, I found that to be really good. Okay. I should actually memorize that chapter, though, because I've never been able to memorize any kind of response to the question of women being in ministry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting I because I mentioned the Gospel Coalition earlier when we were talking and um, – they have a great website and they have a conference, but I, I tried to write something for them one time. I pitched an article and they basically told me I couldn't write the article because the church I was going to be writing about had a, a female pastor and they couldn't support yeah. that. And I was oh. like, really? Like, you don't want this article about church planting and this beautiful story because the church has a female pastor? Um, yeah. Which I guess they're very strict about what they'll publish, but they yeah. are a well-respected and um website, so um I don't know yeah. people some people don't yeah. like them for that. <laughs> oh, I just think it's tragic, I think it's tragic, yeah, sure. yeah, well, um, I'll let you move on from that. Uh, I also wanted <laughs> to talk to you about you told me that you had a pretty traumatic experience with your first daughter and just um some ways that God really worked in your life and your faith and and in her um so I would love to to hear about that.
2: So when we were pregnant with our first child, Isabella, we um, went to our 20-week morphology scan and had a call back from our doctor afterwards saying, can you come in tomorrow? We just want to talk to you about the results of your scan. And so the next day I went in and she said, one of the chambers of your baby's heart seems to be a little bit small. So we're just going to... Um, send you to a hospital in Brisbane to get, they've got, you know, better quality, higher quality scanning machines. And we just want to have another look. And she said, it could be something, it might not be something. And so I wasn't really that worried. But little did she know (laughs) that um, the person who had, like the sonographer who had scanned it, um, at the radiology place had sent the, the results to Nambour Hospital and somebody there had made a diagnosis and actually had, they organized, unbeknownst to us, um, one of the top fetal cardiologists to be there at that appointment, um, with us at the Royal Women's Brisbane Hospital. So we didn't even realize and we walked in and it was like a really long scan and, my husband and I were just like happy and chatting away and just really enjoying seeing our, our baby on the screen. And at one point, the cardiologist got called outside of the room and he's on the phone and he's talking about a little six-week-old baby that needs open heart surgery. And I remember talking, um, turning to my husband and going, oh, that's so sad, a six-week-old needing heart surgery. Anyway, he comes back in, he has a look at the results and he turns to us and he says, you know that you're here because your baby has a small right heart? And we were just gobsmacked, like completely unprepared. And we we said no. And you know what should have been a giveaway is that there were all these people in the room that were just like looking at the screen. Yeah. Uh, Obviously because they were interested in seeing this. And, I mean, that should have been a real giveaway. And at that moment when I said no, they all just kind of like shrunk within themselves. And um, he said, well, how about you go out to that room over there, wait for me, we'll get some information for you, and then I'll meet you there. So we, we were ushered into this room with this round table and a box of tissues on the table, and we sat down in the chairs, and we're like, what is going on? Oh, my goodness. Like, and he comes in, and he, he draws a diagram for us of what our baby's heart looks like. And he says, your baby has pulmonary atresia and hyperplastic right heart syndrome. And so, what that means is that the pulmonary valve uh, through which that pumps oxygen filled blood into the lungs is actually completely blocked up. And the, the heart has um, two, like a right ventricle and a left ventricle, the two larger chambers at the bottom. He said, if you're, like in comparison, if your left ventricle was the size of a fist, then you, the right ventricle is the size of a thumb. Like it is so much smaller um, than, than what it should be. And he basically said, you've got three options. You could do termination. And at this point, I was 23 weeks pregnant. I could feel the baby moving me. No like, way. It's not an option for me. Um, the second option was you could choose palliative care. So when your baby is born, we can make them comfortable until they pass away. Mm. It's just devastating to hear. Oh, yeah. And and then the third option is that when they are three days old, we could do open heart surgery and then again when they're three years old and then when they're five years old. And and that would essentially create they'd put a fontan in the heart and they'd make it so that it is a single ventricle heart that doesn't require the use of the right ventricle. But the altercations of that is that um, later on in life, that that person gets a lot of swelling in the abdomen and the legs, and also uh, they can't do a lot of exercise because they grow tired. And um, this is just the information. <laughs> this is just the information that was being fed to us, um, and then also that in teenage years or early adulthood they would possibly require heart and lung transplant. So just devastating to hear yeah. about the life growing inside of you. And um, I said, well, we'll choose the operation. And he said, just think about it, just think about it. And he's like, "I'll, I'll give you guys some time. And he stepped out of the room and Dan and I just turned to each other and I just cried in his arms. And I will never forget the words that came out of his mouth. He said, but
0: God. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills.
2: God and so we chose to have a posture of faith we chose to give God every opportunity to do a miracle healing for our baby and so the next 17 weeks was all about just that journey of faith that's why we named Isabella Isabella Faith and we went we went to our pastors and we cried to them and they prayed with us and I said to my pastor and he's he's often quoted me as saying this I said to him God knows this child and he knows whether they're a boy or girl and he knows their name and I just believe that God already loves them of course and um and so our church prayed constantly and believed with us as well and we had bad medical report after bad medical report we had to go to the hospital regularly for scans and checkups. And in order to have this life saving operation, she would have to be born at least 2.5 kilograms, preferably three kilograms. But the obstetrician said to me, We don't really see your baby even being 1.5 kilograms. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like your baby is just so small and growing so slowly. We even did one of those amniotic um, tests to test for. They they named a specific chromosomal defect uh, syndrome, and they were like, "We think maybe your baby could have this because she was also missing this DV line that goes from the tummy to the heart in utero." And they said they could see a bit of shading, a bit of shadow on over her bladder, and they were just, which turned out to be nothing, thankfully. But there was just so much fear and, and so much concern around her health. And they, they kept telling me, your baby is really sick and your baby might not make it. And at every single appointment, it was, if your baby is too small, your baby will die. And um, so we knew that was a very real possibility. But the, like I come home from,
0: from an appointment
2: and I, I felt like I was um, stubbornly, despite all the bad news, I was making a baby blanket and it was one of those really I've never had never tried anything like this before I was not into sewing at all but I really wanted to make a baby one of those puff quilts kind of baby quilts and it took a lot of hours but I'd come home from this appointment and I would get into making this baby quilt because I'm having this baby and I will see the fruit of my labor quite literally and you know like I went home and i I found all the scriptures in the Bible um, that are promises for our, our children, our descendants, our offspring. And I wrote them down and I prayed them over my baby. And I would speak over my baby, flourish, baby, flourish in Jesus' name. And um, there's this great scripture about your descendants will flourish. And I, I read up the, the meaning of flourish and that is um, to be all that you were made to be. And I'm, I'm like, yep, I'm believing that. And there was this one particular morning I failed to mention that there was also a tricuspid valve that was too small and I remember waking up this one morning with the word tricuspid um, a valve in my head and I, I just thought today I'm just going to believe God to heal that tricuspid valve and so the whole day I just kept on whenever I thought of it thank you Lord for making that valve grow and mm-hmm. sure enough that. I- one of our next appointments, they, they revealed that that valve had grown to full size and was no longer a concern. Wow. Yeah. Um, there was this one appointment that we came back from. It was, a, it was like maybe three weeks before the baby was born. We had moved to Brisbane. We had moved in with Dan's parents because um, we were preparing ourselves for a five-month stay at the hospital, and they lived closer to the hospital, um, and so we had moved in, and I got home and I just was so, so down. I just went straight to bed and I sat up and I reached for my Bible and I was like, God, I need to hear from you. I need something. And I had no idea where in his word to look. And I did the thumb flip, you know, that thumb flip where Mm -hmm. you just like any page and I put my finger down, close my eyes and look at it. It doesn't work every time, but this time it did. And it was a scripture in Isaiah 44, and it says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants, and your children will um, spring up like grass in the field, like poplar trees. And I looked up what poplar trees are, and they are actually trees that grow really, really fast. So I was like, thank you, Jesus, that this baby is going to grow really quickly in my in my womb and they will be the right size and just that journey of trusting God and also just saying, like, I choose to follow you, Jesus, whether the outcome is what I want it to be or not. Like we had to come to this place where it was like, God, we trust you. We believe with all our heart that you can do an absolute miracle and heal our baby's heart. But if you do not, we are still going to trust you. We still love you. And um, when we went in for that cesarean, uh, we (laughs) entered that hospital not knowing if we were going to leave with our baby or not. And um, we had her and they announced it was a girl and I started crying because I had a daughter and I was like, her name is Isabella Faith and it was such a joyful experience. And then they had to whisk her away to, you know, check her out and put her on life support kind of stuff. And, and, um, and so while I was in recovery, the new uh, pediatric cardiologist came to us and he said, we've scanned your baby's heart. And he began to draw a diagram of what our baby's heart looked like. Mm-hmm. And he drew two ventricles that were exactly the same size. And I stopped him and I said, one of those is supposed to be 50% the size of the other one. And he said, well, it's not it's actually grown to full, the full size. And that pulmonary valve that had been completely blocked up while still narrow had opened up. And as a result of that, there were, there were two holes. There was a hole between the atriums and a hole between the ventricles. But because of those holes, the heart could actually function all right. Um, like it was like this perfect balance. And so when she was 10 days old, they did a catheter procedure up through her groin um, just to balloon open that pulmonary valve a bit more. And that bought time for when she was eight months old and really chubby and strong to do an open heart surgery. They did a total heart repair. And now, praise God, all she needs now is um, a valve repair at some point because she's got a leaky valve as a result of ballooning that open. But praise God, like she now no longer, like she can run, she can play sports and she has an entirely different outcome to her life. Wow.
1: What, like, I just can't imagine your mind in that moment when you saw that drawing, like what was going through your head? Like what was your first thought?
2: It was, at first it was disbelief because you go through the, you go through that trial imagining that outcome and believing and hoping desperately for that outcome. And you go through the scenario in your head and when you're actually finally you're actually finally there and you actually receive that miracle, it it honestly it was amazing. I just wanted to tell the whole world. Oh wow. <laughs> I Is wanted to it- shout out to everyone that
1: would hear. That, that's so cool. I mean, I just, I just love that. Um, you know, it clearly, it seems like, you know, you were really being led by the Holy spirit and you're, you know, reading of those Bible verses and of saying those things aloud. Um, and, and just hearing that story is just so beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. and then eight at eight months, I mean, still that's huge to have open heart Mm -hmm. surgery at eight months old. How was that process for you guys?
2: Well, I had just finished doing a musical. So when she was five months old, I I was getting a little bit like, I need to do something else other than being a mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I joined the local theatre group and we did Hairspray. I was just in the chorus, but it was just so much fun. And literally the day after our last performance, she just went purple. Like um, she'd always been a little bit blue like her her fingertips and around her mouth and but because she was our only child we it just looked normal to us but she was particularly blue this day and I thought maybe she's just a bit cold so I put her out in the sunshine while I hang out hung out the washing and I just kept saying to my mother-in-law I just don't know like she's just looking particularly blue she was happy there was nothing wrong with her but I just thought oh I don't want to be this paranoid mum but I thought I'm just going to take her to the hospital anyway and um they they checked her oxygen saturation levels and they were like yeah they're really low they're like high 60s (laughs) and and low 70s so they had to put her on oxygen and they're like like we were already planning on we'd already planned on having the heart surgery over the next month at some point but it it brought it forward by a couple of weeks and I was like I'm not ready I'm not (laughs) mentally ready it was really hard like I would look at her beautiful baby chest, you know, that was completely perfect. You know, that soft baby skin mm-hmm. and just cute. They look wearing just a nappy and and even in the lead up to that, I would often look at her chest and think, wow, one day there's going to be a scar there. And I also remember being at the shops and seeing this little this money tin that was raising money for maybe kids or something, and there was this really confronting picture of a, a baby with um. A wound there, and oh my goodness, that was so hard to see because I knew that was coming for my child. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I even took a photo of of her chest, <laughs> um, like the morning of the operation, mm-hmm. and um, I was just like, it was really hard for us when she went into surgery. You've got to sign all these waivers, like <laughs> you know, yeah, like, it could go wrong, and and once again, just trusting in God that. He's got, he's got our baby. And we, we went out to the movies and we went because uh, we were close to South Bank, which is this nice area. We went out to the movies because, like, it went for so long. It was, like, oh maybe, like, an eight-hour oh operation. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, that's a
2: long <laughs> time. And I, like, it finished at, like, 8.30 that night, I think. Um, and throughout the movie, like, I just, every time I would think about it, i just, like, this panicky, awful feeling in my chest. Went to the – went to our, for dinner and we just felt like it was so strange anyone would have thought that we were just like this normal couple in a date. yeah no one would have, right at that moment our, our baby was on the operating table having their heart operated on it was just it was awful when we arrived um and went into ICU the um the surgeon came out to meet us he said everything went really well and when Dan said to him so a big day for you and he looks at us and he's like no, <laughs> it was just <laughs> such just another day, it was a normal thing. Yeah, for him to do that, and they're so skilled, and we're so thankful to them. But that would make and, you feel better, though, right? To make to, for him to say, "Yeah, I did yeah. this all the time." Yeah, it's no big deal. That's right. It was really hard to see her in ICU. Um, yeah, because she was all a bit puffed up as well, and um, and. She wasn't completely out of it too. Like there were times over the next few days where she would come to and she'd just want her mummy, but I wasn't able to hold her because of everything attached to her. And mm. at one point, oh, so hard. I remember the nurse saying to me, it would be better for her if you actually leave. Oh, um, oh and all I wanted to do, I'm tearing up right now while I think about mm. it, all I wanted to do was hold her, and um, but it was better for her. She'd be less upset if she couldn't see me at that moment. So that was really, really tough. Actually, oh, this terrible moment in that first week of – that week of recovery was um, she went into an SVT, which is where the heart beats so fast, like over about, like, 300 beats per minute. Like, oh, my gosh. And so everyone just came running. We didn't know what was going on. Like, the nurse just started yelling out, we've got an SVT in here, and um, – I, like we we kind of stepped out and they they ushered us out they're like you gotta go you've gotta go we didn't know what was going on and we, it felt like forever we were like is that baby dying right now like what's going on and then finally they came out and they explained to us what was going on and that they I think they used ice like we're like shocking her body through ice oh my goodness try, yeah to try to like reset her heart her heart rate and anyway um it happened, oh, so that was alright. But then like the next day my husband actually had like this big this big um, exam at university. So he had to go in and do this exam while our baby was in ICU from oh. heart surgery. And I asked a friend from our church in Brisbane to just come and sit with me in ICU. And she we were on our way and we, you know, we came up to the door, we pressed the button, and I'm like, I'm Isabella's mum. And they're like, just hold on a minute. And then it took forever to let us in, and we're like, "What's going on?" And then somebody, the finally the door opens, and they somebody meets us there and ushers us into this interview room. And um, oh my goodness, they had like a, a social worker there too waiting for us, and and one of the specialists, and he just goes, "So she went into another SBT, and we tried this, and it didn't work, and then she." Um, We tried this and it didn't work and we tried this and it didn't work. And honestly, I'm not hearing anything that he's saying. I'm just standing there thinking, is she alive? Right. Like that should be the first thing they say. No, right. And I told him off. I just, I was like, is she okay? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, she's fine. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I thought she was dead. It's like somebody needs to teach
1: these people how you do this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. insane. I think
2: overall, overall, like all the medical staff are amazing, you know, like really, really great. Um, but just, you know, yeah. That take from that one person. Yeah. So it was it was really, really emotional. But I wanna, um, Erica, just go back to uh, the time when Bella was born and, and point out to you that um a couple of months after she was born and we we received our miracle, tragically Uh, like within the the space of a year, basically, we had two other friends that had babies born with defects and they passed away. Mm. So they went through, you know, like faith journeys just like we did during the pregnancy and then they didn't get the outcome that they had hoped for. And I just want to point that out too that, I don't know, like I struggled with that because I was like, God, I just don't understand. Like your word says that we are um formed in our mother's womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made so how how then like I know your word is true but I can't marry that up with with these birth defects you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. so that was a real struggle too and I guess to get to the point where you just you can't you can't come up with an answer but you've got to be okay with that yeah you know what I mean yeah that's really tough and the Bible says, you know, that we go through these trials to develop character and perseverance and um, so that our faith is refined and perhaps our faith is worth more than anything else, you know. Um, and I know those two couples now that if they've gone on to have other children and they're, they're doing really well. And of course, of course, it's still a pain in their hearts. Of course, they still, you know, grieve over their lost babies, but um, who knows the fruit that it has come out of that as well
1: yeah yeah thank you for sharing that so Isabel is doing well now it sounds like though
2: yeah she's doing really well she's and she's got such a love for god as well and for other people and she really desires other people to know him and one word i had for her was that god is going to use her to show other people his love for them and um yeah, so she's she's beautiful. I mean, we're going through, like, the six-year-old challenges. Yeah. <laughs> like, she just gets driven crazy by her three-year-old sister, Eva. <laughs> and so she might, yeah, there's the sibling rivalry. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you so nervous different. about having a fourth? Um. Oh, well, I will say, oh, do you mean for the fact that there's going to be four children? Yeah, just going from three to four <laughs> are you nervous about it so much so much but I do remember that like it was full-on going from one to two and two to three I know it'll be full-on at first two but then we'll get into our rhythm and we'll get used to it um, I should probably mention as well that our second child when she was born we were nervous that she would have a heart defect and we she was scanned and, and found out to be fine but when she was two weeks old she actually started having SVTs i never was, heard she,
1: this before.
2: Yeah, she ended up being diagnosed um, as an SVT baby, and she would just randomly go into these SVTs. And we didn't. The only reason why we found this out was because she had a cold and she was a bit congested and struggling a bit as a newborn. So we went into hospital, and um, they were just able to monitor her. And the next morning. Um, we were just getting ready to be discharged. And then all of a sudden the monitor just started beeping, um, with this SVT and I only knew about it because of Isabella. Um, and I put my hand on her chest and it was just thumping so much. And I pressed the call button, but nobody came and I was like, what do I do? So I went out into the hallway and there was one nurse that was walking away from me and I just called out, we've got an SVT in here. (laughs) and then like she came and she hit the emergency button and they like, get the crash card in, and that was really stressful um so we went through a journey of faith too oh for my god Eva and they honestly they swear that like she ended up seeing the same cardiologist and they swear that we're just lucky people that it's completely unrelated <laughs> and our first child had a plumbing issue our second child had an electrical issue does that go heard, away like as they get older the svt yes. Praise God, she's grown out of it. Like some of them grow out of it, some of them don't. So she was actually put on some medication that prevented them. And thankfully, by the time she was two, we had weaned her off the medication. And she's now three and a bit, and she hasn't had any more SVTs. So praise God for a great outcome there. And Mila, when she was born, we scanned her heart, and um, she had like this little hole as well. Um, but praise God over the next six months it closed over, so it's it's kind of been like, yeah. Wow, wow. So are
1: you thinking? Obviously, you'll get a scan as soon as the baby's born to see this next one.
2: I just, I, yeah, definitely. We will. We'll go see a um, a fetal cardiologist just to be safe. Then, sorry, but like they really spent a long time in the morphology scan looking at the heart, and honestly, every time. Somebody listens to the heartbeat, or has, we have a scan? It's always a really, really great, encouraging response. Like it's not just good; it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I feel good. I feel like there's nothing wrong with this baby. But, and yeah, so we'll see. And you're 35
1: weeks pregnant. Are you going to be um, induced?
2: No, no, I'm not intending to just be. Let it be. What? It, whatever will be, will be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I'm just like I've got a very specific prayer list over over the labor. I I did for Mila as well and it was a fantastic labor. She I was like, God, can you please make her come by her due date or a bit before? And she came on her due date, like the morning of Oh there so, you go. Just for my own mental sanity. I hate that thing when you go to bed and you're like, Is it gonna happen tonight? Oh yeah. Um, oh, oh
1: yeah. I yeah, I uh well my water broke with my son. Um like yeah. two and a half weeks early. So that was very unexpected. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was kind of like, I, and then with my daughter, I was induced at like 8am in the morning and it was all very like, you know, Spend- you know, nothing, yeah. And it's so funny. Cause I look back at those and they were just two completely opposite experiences where my son, it was like my first, it was unexpected. Like I didn't know how long it was going to take. It was like very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then my daughter was just like, almost like boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was going to ask how, um, how is the healthcare system in Australia? I mean, I'm sure it's pretty good, but, um, do you guys, uh, I, I, what kind of healthcare do you have?
2: Oh my goodness, Erica, it is so amazing. I am so, so thankful. So that heart surgery, um, you know, in lots of countries probably would have cost us like, maybe tens of thousands of dollars i don't know how much it's all free it's all free like through the public healthcare system if you're an australian citizen it's all free like you can choose to pay and be a private um like go to a private hospital i really for me personally i don't understand why people do that like that's their own choice that's fine yeah but i'm more than happy to to go to public because yeah, I've, in my experience, like, the healthcare has been so, so good. And actually, the Sunshine Coast University Hospital, which is the one that is um, the closest maternal one, like, that we'll be going to, um, they've got an incredible birth suite. Um, yeah, like, they're, they're just, so, like, they're a pretty new hospital, like, just a few years old, and um, really state-of-the-art facility, and yeah, honestly, like healthcare in Australia it was just so blessed. I'm just so thankful because, yeah, if you go into the hospital or you, um, specifically in Queensland, if you call the ambulance, like you don't have to pay for that. Wow. I think maybe in some other states you might have to pay for the for the ambulance, but yeah, if you spend the night over in the hospital, like we would have racked up huge oh amount my of goodness, bills.
0: Yeah. Um, so do
1: you? Is it? Um, and I always feel like I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to healthcare. <laughs> so yeah. I hope this isn't a dumb question, but well, do you guys have like high taxes to cover the cost of that? Or I don't. how does it work with in terms of how the government pays for that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know um, what our tax, like how our taxes differ to other countries' taxes. Like, like it feels like it's high. Yeah. So it's- Maybe that's how it's happening. Like, we've got something called Medicare. Okay. And uh, so when we do pay to see a doctor, like, to actually have a GP visit, um, we can either go bulk bill, but um, that tends to be less, um, like, you have to wait for maybe an hour while you're there and you might not get the same quality because because that, that doctor is seeing just so many people. Um, but if you pay to see a doctor... For us, we end up, I think the total cost is about $80, but then you get back maybe um, $40 on Medicare, like you get a refund, like a Medicare rebate into your account. So then you only end up out of pocket by about $40 to $50, depending on where you go. Okay. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe it's taxes, probably. Yeah. Well, I always that's why
1: I always say I never like really step foot into any um healthcare conversations because I really yeah. have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, but that's interesting and it's really wonderful for you guys that that didn't have to be a stress on top of all the other stresses that you were experiencing when you were going through that.
2: Yeah, so thankful. I think the worst thing was that we had to pay for car parking when she was Oh, in wow. Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like when you put it in perspective, that's nothing. Hey, you're yeah. we were like, we're spending hundreds of dollars on parking, um, which for us was tough at that time. But when you put it into perspective, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's great.
1: Well, I know we're kind of running running low on time, but I do want to talk just briefly about you ended up starting this podcast. You don't have a lot of time. You're a busy mom. You're pastoring. You're about to have another baby. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and why you wanted to start it and what made you excited about this medium.
2: So um, last year, I started listening to a lot of podcasts because I was given a gym membership um, because I was really struggling to have like... Um, three children and I wasn't doing anything for myself and so I started like driving 25 minutes to and from the gym twice uh, twice a week and it was so good like I just listened to so many podcasts and I really got so inspired by them and I thought I'm going to try to find an Australian Christian women one and I couldn't really find any and I was like wow there's a real gap there and I thought somebody really needs to start one in Australia for Christian women and um, and then one day when I was doing the dishes, it just ad- it dawned on me. I was like, why don't I do it? And that thought, I just couldn't shake it. And I just got more and more excited about it. And and I was like, all right, God, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, yeah, so I've called it the Full Life Podcast, and it's all like it's aimed at at women and it is all about just encouraging inspiring and equipping women to be all that God has made us to be in every area of our of our lives so I talked to um, women who have been through journeys like I, I've spoken to a woman who went through breast cancer and IVF and postnatal depression uh, I have spoke to a woman who's a happiness and well-being coach um, I spoke to a woman who is a mum of five, and she's also she started her own business 18 years ago, and just about like that work, family, faith, marriage balance. So, um, and then also I'm doing a focus on adoption actually, because in November it's um, national in Australia, it's National Adoption Awareness Month, and so it is here too. It is as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Uh, so then I'm actually doing a couple of episodes um, talking about adoption. Uh, with some, We've got something called the Australian Christian Lobby. Um, and so one of the directors of that, I'm having a chat with him this Thursday morning, actually, about that. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's what I'm doing and I'm
0: really loving it. I'm
2: always so excited about it and I feel such a great sense of fulfillment from it and it, life is full now like I used to look I used to watch a lot more tv I will say yeah <laughs> I just went to bed I would just chill in front of the tv um after cleaning up and now I don't get to do that until the weekend <laughs> um but it's worth it
1: yeah I was gonna say I'm also interviewing someone for National Adoption Month um here we have there's a uh, something called the Dave Thomas Foundation and it's um, actually the founder of Wendy's the restaurant. I don't know if you guys have Wendy's. But yeah. but yeah, so he I I believe the story is that his daughter was adopted or he was adopted, one of the two. Um and so yeah. he named his restaurant Wendy's after his daughter and he started this foundation for adoption and foster care and they're huge here. And so I'm interviewing their um oh. CEO and they reached out to right. me and I'm excited about it and um, I'm definitely a huge advocate for adoption and foster care. We definitely need more people doing it. So I'm with you on celebrating that. Uh, well, before you go, um, are you reading anything, any um, recommendations? I love to get, you know, what's on people's radars these days.
2: Well, our, our whole church is going through a book at the moment called God, Money, and Me, written by Paul De Jong. He's a pastor of, I think it's called Life Church in New Zealand, um, so that's a really good book that I've only just started, but our life group, um, and some of the sermons at church have been really based on it too. So I've been really hearing about breaking some unhealthy mindsets around finance. And I think it's really valuable, um, that, you know, in, in the church, we do talk about finances because if we don't control our finances, then our finances control us and it can hold us back in life for sure. Uh, so there's that book, um, what else? You know what? A great book that I, I read recently by Francine Rivers is called The Masterpiece. My dream is to one day interview her on my podcast. Is Francine she from so Australia? And, no, she's American. <laughs> oh, first, I don't know why I thought she was from Australia. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, I love how she includes in her novels just like this. Um, she really interweaves like this. Relationship with God and communication with Him into her characters as an example for how we can also have an intimacy with God. So it was honestly such a good book. So that's the masterpiece.
1: Okay, Melanie. Well, we we are running up on an hour, so I feel like I have so many more questions I could ask you about Australia, but maybe I will ask you that offline. Um, Thank you so much for talking with me on the podcast today and sharing the story about your daughter and telling us about your podcast and um, all the things that you're doing. I really appreciate your time.
2: Oh, it's been such an honor. Thanks for having me, Erica.